0: Yeah, money, 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 money. There's lots of songs about money and things, but money, if there was ever a subject to divide a modern day middle class suburban church, I reckon this one's it, money. Uh, we don't talk about it ourselves very much. We don't discuss with people how much we earn or how much we've hoarded away or how much we give to church or anything like that. For some of us, we're, we're embarrassed about the smallness of some of those numbers. Uh, For some of us, we're conscious of not showing off uh, before other people. Uh, For some, we're just worried about people sponging off us if they worked out what we really had. Uh, And on top of that, uh, churches who do preach about money and wealth, well, they seem a little bit suspicious, a bit suspect especially since money appears to be all that they talk about, especially about giving more to them, you know, give it, give it, give it, and then you'll be blessed, you'll get more, God wants you to have more money and then give it to us. And then, uh, you know, Brian Houston's first published book, You Need More Money. Uh, The title's enough to send chills down the spine for many Christians. And so it seems, at least in part, it's out of embarrassment that money, wealth and possessions are taboo subjects In Reformed evangelical churches in Australia, we shy away from speaking about them except on the rare occasion when we're behind budget a long way, and even then, it's with great reservation we stand up and say, We need some more. (laughs) But I wonder if there's something darker going on in ourselves, something dark that shies away from wanting to think about money, and that is fear. We're afraid. We're afraid that the kind of ruthless self-examination that God calls us to in every aspect of our walk with him might just find us out if we thought too hard about cash and assets and wealth. Uh, We don't like being found wanting. We don't like finding ourselves wanting. And we would prefer not to have to change, if at all possible. Particularly, we don't want to change our spending habits. We don't want to change our saving priorities. We don't want to change from our profound love of stuff. It's often said that the last part of a man to be converted to Christ is his hip pocket, his wallet. Uh, There you go. Thinking about what God has to say about our money might just seem too much like playing with fire. So why then are we going to break that taboo, and not just today but over the next few weeks, Uh, We're going to step outside of our normal practice of working through the Bible and and look at this topic and what the the whole Bible has to say about it. Well, there's five reasons that we need to deal with it in depth, seriously and properly at, at this moment. One, because money, wealth and stuff, the stuff it buys, preoccupies our lives. That's what we think about more often than not. We work for it, we lose sleep over it, and most of our pleasures require a great deal of it. So whether by desire or necessity, money finds a central place in our lives. And God's interested in our lives and what's, you know, what's going on in them. Second reason, because Jesus talked about money all the time. Uh, 20% of Jesus' parables are either explicitly about or implicitly about money and wealth. Uh, the unfaithful steward the rich fool who built his barns like the monkey uh, but was not rich towards God, the rich man and Lazarus, uh, the good Samaritan, the parable of the talents, the pearl of great price, price, to name a few. And, And then there's his explicit teachings on the subject of money, which he did in just about every one of his sermons. You cannot serve both God and money. What can a man give in exchange for his soul? A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his very soul? Jesus talked about money more than almost any other subject, as I've discovered the last few weeks I've been researching this kind of stuff. And he didn't hold back. So he obviously thought we need to hear about it. But there's a third reason we need to delve into it, because materialism is one of, if not, the greatest sin of our nation. Australia is utterly besotted and steeped in its love of money. We reside in one of the most expensive places on earth. Uh, we accumulate more and more though benefits us nothing. We are less productive as a nation than we've ever been, and we've become engrossed in our tablets, our iPhones, and luxuries. You know, we have a you know a land abounding in nature's gifts, of beauty rich and rare. Well, actually, they're not nature's gifts at all. They're God's gifts. Uh, you know, and Even the poorest in our community are amongst the filthiest rich people in world terms. So if you own a fridge, and even the poorest people in Australia own a fridge, that puts you in the top 30% of the world's wealthy. Okay, Uh, That's let alone a TV, a car, and a mobile phone, which just about everyone in Australia has. And that puts you in the top 10%. Of the world's wealthy. You are one of the richest people on the planet. The median annual household income across the world this is what a whole household, everyone working in it, earns per year $9,733. That is the average person across the world. $9,733. Minimum wage for one person in Australia is $34,318. Average, income, average household income in Australia is $145,000, 15 times better paid than half of the world. And then we complain that it's not enough. We're infected by a horrifying epidemic that psychologist Oliver James calls affluenza, not influenza where you sneeze a lot, and, and, except for man flu, of course you lie in bed half dead, but affluenza, the love of money and stuff is killing us. And us Christians, as God's people, are not immune from it. Affluenza is the air that we breathe. Fourth reason we need to break the taboo and deal with the subject of money, because there's a whole lot of nonsense being perpetrated, uh, perpetuated in the guise of Christian teaching, which is undermining faithful Christian discipleship at best or leading God's people down the broad road to destruction at worst as it holds out a false religion and a false spirituality which has more to do with Oprah and the secret and astrology than it does with Jesus Christ. Fifth reason, and here's a positive one, because there are ways that God wants us to think about our money, things God wants us to do with money, and great blessings that God wants us to generate with the money, wealth and assets that we have at our disposal. Uh, he has dire warnings. Uh, He's got incredible responsibilities that he lays on us. And there's even great joy in things which God says about money, which he has for us on on this subject. Now, some of what we're going to cover the next few weeks is going to shock you. Uh, Some of it may comfort you. And it will certainly all challenge you. Uh, And I need to hear these things as much as anyone else. I am just as greedy, discontented, stressed, wasteful as anyone else. My heart is as prone to wander as anyone here. And my hip pocket needs to be converted to Christ too. And so over these next few weeks, we're going to be doing some ruthless self-examination. And I hope what you do is go home and think, how am I going with all this? Uh, it's time to pull back the curtain and expose our lives to the burning light of God's word. Uh, in the words of Lamentations chapter 3, verse 40, let us examine and probe our ways and let us return to the Lord. So we're going to get into it. Let me pray. That was a long intro. Uh, Let me pray as we do some introductory things. Father, we pray that you might help us now to be wise about what you say, to learn deeply and to uh, really do that ruthless self-examination that you ask us to do. Help us to treat our money rightly and to view you rightly. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning I just want to set the scene for the rest of the term with two big thoughts. Yeah, very easy. Two thoughts for the day. Two planks, I'm going to lay, which are foundational to all that the Bible has to say about wealth, money, and assets. Okay? Two things. First thing, sirs, money is good. The Bible keeps saying that money is good. It is not in and of itself evil or bad. There's a very incredibly well-known verse of the Bible which, uh, well, let me test you. Money is the... Money is the what? Sorry, the root of all evil. Money is the root of all evil. That's not actually what the Bible says. No, uh, it's not even money is a root. It's one Timothy chapter six verse ten: "For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil." Okay, so money itself is just a thing, but loving it. It's not the root of all evils, not everything comes from love and money, but lots of different evil things come from loving money. We'll get to that later. Money is not itself evil. It's just a thing. In fact, one of the most surprising, even shocking things that the Bible says about money is in Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 18. Listen to this. If a man is lazy, the rafters sag. If his hands are idle, the house leaks. A feast is made for laughter and wine makes life merry but money is the answer to everything. You didn't expect the Bible to say that, did you? Money is the answer to everything. As the writer of Ecclesiastes looks around the world, he's noticed something profound about cash. It's powerful and it's productive. You think about it, money is pretty much the answer to, well, almost everything, you know just about everything. Almost anything you want in this world is yours if you have enough money. Money is how you get things and how you get things done. Uh, it can even extend your life. Uh, it can gain you respect and it can give you even the semblance of love. right People will love you if you are rich. They'll respect you if you're rich. You have power if you are rich. Money is how you get things done. And so whether you have some money, just a little or a whole lot, God has given it to you and it's a blessing. Uh, if you have money and wealth and things, thank God for it. It's a gift. Because everything is a gift from God and to be received with thanksgiving. Unlike what the Greeks thought and what Hinduism and Buddhism teach, that stuff uh, they say that stuff in and of itself uh, is evil and that we're on our way to some ephemeral Vapor, and we're being held back by the tangible universe which deceives us. No, that's not the case at all. God has made a material world. And he made it, well, he says, it's good. And so nowhere in the Bible does it teach that the blessed Christian life is to be penniless, to own nothing, and as if being in abject poverty, living in rags in the desert, would make you more spiritually... Uh, acceptable to God or anything like that. You're not more Christian if you are more poor. And nor does the Bible teach communism, where we've got to sell everything and pull it all for the common good and there is to be no private ownership. It's not wrong to enjoy what God gives. It's not wrong to have a holiday or to own things. But while money is good, it's not the be-all and end-all and nor should we find our meaning and purpose in it. We know instinctively that there's more to life than just having stuff. And God tells us over and over again that. So here's just a couple of things that the Bible points out. Proverbs 11 verse 16. A kind-hearted woman gains respect, but ruthless men gain only wealth. Okay, so ruthless men get wealth, but it's only wealth. Okay, much more important to be kind and gain respect than to be wealthy. Or Proverbs 22 verse 1. A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. They say, it's fine, it's good, but there are much more important things. No amount of money, no amount of success is worth losing the honour and respect of your family or your friends or even your clients. And even the non-Christians can know that stuff. Though I'm amazed at how often you come across articles in the paper or blogs on the computer written by 55-year-old men who say, I wish I'd known all that when I was younger. I wish I hadn't put so much time into the career and accumulating wealth. I wish I'd owned a little bit less and knew my kids. I wish I had one less house and still had my wife. But for Christians, we we know an even deeper wisdom, a wisdom that goes beyond what's best for this life, beyond what's best for the 70 or 80 or 100 years that we're given. We we, we know a wisdom that lasts for eternity. And so Proverbs 22, verse 2, rich and poor have this in common. What do you think the rich and poor have got in common? Well, they do die. Ah, Yes, that's true. But they also have this in common. The rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. What matters is not how much money you have. What matters is what you think of him who made you. Or even more important than that, what he thinks about you. Proverbs 11.4 makes that clear. Wealth is worthless in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. You see, when we stand before God... When Jesus Christ returns, you won't worry about your house. You won't be worried about your bank balance. You won't be worried about your TV being too small and you need that big one. And the reason you're not going to worry about them is because they won't be there. They'll have been burnt away, gone, which makes them, by and large, irrelevant. What will matter is whether God says that you are righteous. That's the only thing that will matter. And the only way to be righteous, to be right with God, is trusting the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is the only way to be righteous on the last day, to trust him. Trust that he has died for you, to wash you clean, that he has risen to give you new life, and then entrust your life to him as he is to do with as he pleases. And on that day, that is all that will matter. Yes, wealth is a blessing from God, but it is nothing compared to love, respect, family and friends. Uh, But far more precious to God and uh, and should be to you is your soul. And sometimes you've got to choose. And Jesus put it so starkly in Mark chapter 8. He said, What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation... The Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. You can have it all and still go to hell. And brothers and sisters, that is a trade that is just not worth it. It all comes back to why we were made by God. See, God may be the creator of a material universe, but he made it for a purpose. He made you for a purpose and what money he has given us, be it a little or be a lot, is for that same purpose. That purpose being to glorify him, to bring honour and fame to God's name, to, to make God out to be the most precious and wonderful treasure ever. In John Piper's words, to magnify God as the most magnificent of beings. That, that's what everything is for. That's what we are for, this universe. The things he's given us are for. And yet our horrific and degenerate failure to live for that purpose is why Christ had to come to save us. In the words of 2 Corinthians 9, which is a passage that's all about money and generosity and stuff, he, he marks on the Lord Jesus in terms of wealth and riches, and he says, the Lord Jesus, though he was rich, that I mean, Jesus was Richer than anyone was he, owned heaven, you know, had enjoyed the lavish riches of the glory of his father's home. Uh, though he was rich, he became poor. You know, he left it all behind, came down here to live in, you know, poverty most of his life. You know, very simple home and family, and to be hated and despised and spat at and and sworn at and mocked and rejected and in the go through the most horrible execution. I mean, he didn't have to leave home, right? He could have stayed there. But he came. He Though he was rich, he became poor, so that through his poverty, we might become rich. Now, what some churches do at that point is say, see, if you're a Christian, God wants you to have stuff. Because Jesus was rich, he became poor so that the poor people can become rich. So God wants to bless you with material possessions and have more and more stuff. But it's not talking about being rich with more and more stuff. He didn't do that. He didn't die on the cross so that we could have a share portfolio that's bulging with stocks, nor a a chain of five-bedroom, three-bathroom, triple-garage luxury yachts. But having a wealth and a treasure that not even the Bill Gateses or the Donald Trumps and the James Packers of this world can fathom, contentment and joy in knowing you stand forgiven and loved by God and having an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, right? Moths won't come along and eat your clothes in heaven. Thieves won't come and steal your stuff. Rust won't eat out your Lamborghini if you happen to have one or your Kia (laughs) or your push bike or your motor scooter for those who have them. Uh, But that gospel, that news of that exchange of Jesus for you, that lies at the heart of how we're to understand money and what we're to do with it. See, money is good if it's viewed and used rightly. It's a gift from God, but it's for his glory. And that's the first plank, the first thing that we need to know. But by far the majority of the Bible's teaching on money and wealth are about the second plank, okay, are about its dangers. Money is dangerous. And the more you have, the more danger you are in. And wanting more puts you in more danger. It is a fire which will burn you if you're not careful with it. Indeed, to be diagnosed by God as suffering from affluenza could well be fatal unless you get in there and get to the surgeon and have it all, the cancer cut out right away. So what are the dangers of wealth? Well, I've got five today that I'm going to race through. Uh, there are probably more. There's certainly one more because we're going to deal with that especially next week. Okay. Number one danger, money and wealth make you forgetful. In fact, the forgetfulness that money brings is so serious that I came up with a term for it last night when I was sitting at my computer. It's spiritual Alzheimer's disease. Okay? Now, I don't want to make light of Alzheimer's. It's a horrible, horrible disease that you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy. It causes you to forget your friends, forget your family. First your short-term memory goes and then your long-term. And then you even forget who you are and in the end you forget how to breathe and you die. It's horrible. Spiritual Alzheimer's is similar but far worse, and money is its cause. Money makes you forget God. That was the dire warning that God gave to Israel as they stood on the edge of the desert looking into the promised land, this land flowing with milk and honey, this beautiful land that they were about to receive, had they done nothing to earn. We read it in Deuteronomy 8. He's about to give them abundant life with wells they did not dig and and farms they didn't plant and they're going to have it all and they're going to get rich. They're going to have rest from their exile. But he warns them in verse 11 of Deuteronomy uh, chapter 8, Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, they're going to happen. And when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God. You may say to yourself, my power and strength and my hands have produced this wealth for me, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so he confirms his covenant, which he swore to your forefathers as it is today, And the consequences of this spiritual Alzheimer's, if you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. Like the nations, the Lord destroyed before you, so you will be destroyed for not obeying the Lord your God. But doesn't that sound to you? It sounds to me exactly what has happened in Australia. We have this abundant wealth and mineral resources and stuff, and we can do whatever we want and go on holiday wherever we want, and we can own fine houses and eat out as often as we like, well, well you know, uh, lots of times, and go and see movies and just entertain ourselves silly. You know, we've got all this wealth and stuff, and we've forgotten God. God's gone from the public agenda, and we're just trying to eradicate the last vestiges as a nation. That that brilliant prayer in uh, Proverbs 30 that Dave started with, isn't that brilliant? Give me neither poverty nor riches because if you give me too much, I'll disown you. I'll forget you. I'll become prayer. But if I have too little, I'll start to want to steal. The first danger of wealth is spiritual Alzheimer's. Money makes you forgetful. Danger number two and we're going to do most of the rest of these from 1 Timothy chapter 6. So they'll be really worth looking at, 1 Timothy chapter 6. But Paul warns that money and wanting more and more of it is a deadly trap. It's in verse 9 of 1 Timothy 6. Uh, we're going to be in there for the rest of our time, like I said. So turn it up. Paul says in verse 9, "...people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many and harmful, many foolish and harmful desires." that plunge men into ruin and destruction. Get the sense of it? People who want to get rich fall into temptation and into a trap, into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. If you want to get rich, you're heading for destruction and ruin. You think of the cues at the newsagent for Lotto, Powerball and Scratchies, yeah, there's bigger queue for those things than for anything else that's sold in the news agent. I actually wonder if it's bigger than the queue for all the other things put together in the news agent. And it's called a news agent. You used to buy news there, but we don't do that anymore. <laughs> we now, it should be called the lotto agent or something, but anyway, all for the hope that this tiny piece of paper will make their dreams come true, it will change their lives forever, gambling on the foolish hope that they will be the one. Not realising that for one person to get rich off it, everyone else has to become poorer. Not realising that almost every single winner of the lotteries, the big winner of the lotteries, has blown it all within five years, and they've lost more than the money, they've lost their family with it. Their wife and you know, family have disintegrated, their marriage has gone in divorce and bitterness, friendships have been destroyed, ruin, destruction and misery. What, you're queuing for that. Oh, but it won't happen to me. You know, I'll, I'll do it wisely. You know, you know our family are going to get closer together after we're rich. Or think of the ruined lives of families of those who climbed to the top of the corporate ladder. Jeffrey Edelston. Only have lost everything, including themselves on the way up. Or the celebrities who've made it to the top only to find none of it delivers. You know, Jim Carrey... Uh, some people love him. Some people hate him. The rubbery-faced comedian, you know, pet detective, uh, Truman Show. Um, he, he said this recently, I think everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see it's not the answer. And he's disillusioned. That's what well, I got here and what's it all for? Ask Mel Gibson, Britney Spears, Owen Wilson who've all attempted suicide. Or think of Heath Ledger or Paul Hester or Robert Williams, who've all succeeded. All plunged into a trap that led them to ruin and destruction. Danger number three. That verse that's so often misquoted. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Just think about the sins and the evils that loving money and stuff leads to. Envy. Jealousy. Greed. Theft. Or its socially acceptable counterparts, you know, knocking off the office stuff. <laughs> you know, the stationery, they won't miss it. They've got lots of it. Or piracy. Let's just call it what it is, it's stealing. The love of money leads to backstabbing. It leads to ladder climbing and stepping on toes and stepping on heads pushing in front, wanting to be the greatest. Uh, The love of money leads to fraud. It leads to uh, manipulation. Family, friends, neighbours, the community. The love of money leads to anxiety, worry, stress, depression and despair. The love of money means we believe lies like He who dies with the most toys wins. That's a lie. It it is a great danger. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Danger number four, verse 17. Command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant. Wealth makes you arrogant. It makes you proud. It makes you think more of yourself than you should because you think, well, with my hands, I, I built this empire. I earned it. I did it. Uh, it's kind of the opposite of the first danger of forgetting God. You forget God and you remember you, right? You think, I'm awesome. <laughs> uh, it makes you think you're above other people because look at them, <laughs> suckers. You know, you uh, know. Yeah, we people rank themselves in society, don't they? By by how much they have, and what their income is, and what suburb they live in. Yet, yeah, why does the Forbes magazine put out the uh, the Forbes 500 list each year of the richest 500 richest people in the year? Why are people interested in that? Because we want to be them. Right? They never put out the poorest 500. You know, think of uh, Mary Suarez in uh, Patagonia. Uh, she earns 20 cents a year, <laughs> kind of thing. Uh, and that's taken off her by bandits. You know, kind of. I mean, we don't want to read about that. We don't care. You know, because the poor are nothing to us. We never read about them. The arrogance and pride of wealth is astonishing. But there's a fifth danger, which is probably the saddest one. Danger number five is the danger of false assurance. Again, it's in verse 17. Have a look. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Because like bananas in a box, they can go off. Having money, wealth, assets, a good home, a large nest egg, a healthy bank balance, a diverse share portfolio, an investment property or two, make people think that they're immune to anything. But it's a terrible lie. Nothing in this life is certain, except the two things, of course, which will both take your money from you, death and taxes. But <laughs> as Paul said earlier in the chapter, we brought nothing into the world and we take nothing out of it. You can't, you can't take it with you when you are gone. But any of those things that we think will protect us, they can all go belly up. I mean, think of the GFC a few years ago. I know people in our congregation lost jobs as consequences of that down the track. But not even some of the richest banks in the world survived it. They're gone. Thieves—they break in and steal our stuff. The amount you paid for your car doesn't protect it from rust, which destroys your limo, and moths eat your good clothes. I said that before, but. And even if you could maintain and guarantee your investment, none of it protects you from getting sick, from you know, ending up like poor John over here in us. "Well, Good to see you back, man, uh, and that you're alive. When we heard it was like, is he dying? Is he? <laughs> yeah, It doesn't protect you from depression or from alienation and loneliness. It doesn't protect you from family disharmony or any of the other things that plague our fallen world under God's curse. Wealth and assets and investments certainly don't protect us from death. Money is a fickle master. It is a slippery slope. It is a shaky house. It's a sandcastle built near the waves. And certainly not one single dollar, nor having $10 billion, can protect you in the judgment. Only Jesus can do that. And knowing him, is free. doesn't cost a cent. So there's the two basic planks. Money is good if it's used for its intended purposes, to glorify God, and we're going to be getting into how that works in lots of different ways over a few weeks. But it's terribly dangerous. It's a, it's a fire that will burn you if you pursue it and you want it and you lust after it and you long for it. So how do we put wealth in its place? How do we avoid the dangers and how do we glorify God with our money? Well, that's what this turns about and you'll have to come back for the next few weeks. I'm not going to tell you today. But know from the outset, it's going to require a heart transplant from God so that we no longer see as the world sees and live as the world lives. It's going to need the spirit of God at work through the word of God in order to retrain and break our hardened hearts. Uh, and give us a spiritual mindset firmly grounded in the death and resurrection of Jesus whose riches to rags story is what brings us from rags to riches. I hope you come the next few weeks. I hope you come longer than that. But (laughs) Father, we want to thank you for uh, your creation and for your magnificence and that you are the one who life is all about. But Father, we fail to recognise that. We let you down. We get deluded by the stuff that we have and the stuff that we want and we get unfocused and we pray, Father, that you'll forgive us. You will change us. You'll help us to think about what you want us to do with our money and how to view it, how to glorify you in all aspects of our lives. Uh, We pray that we might, uh, from the outset, uh, know that there are things more important than money and stuff Uh, including respect and family and friends, but even more, knowing you and being right with you for now and eternity. Thank you for the Lord Jesus who has died for our sins and risen again. We thank you for the life he offers and we pray that we might be found in him, trusting him on the last day. And not only us, we pray for our nation. We beg of you to turn it back from its forgetfulness, from its running from you, and that you'll save many lives as your gospel goes out from here and from other Christians around this country and around this world. Please do your work, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.